Before we begin this week's show, we want to take a moment to tell you about something else you can listen to, and that's NPR One. It's a great way to listen to How to Do Everything. Another great way would be to just do nothing and continue listening to us now. But NPR One is an app for your phone, like Pandora or Shazam. It's nothing like Shazam. Uh, It's full of news and stories from your favorite podcasters, NPR, and the local station you call your own. Whenever you're ready to listen, NPR One has something great just for you. Find it in your app store, NPR O-N-E. Hey, we are on our way out of town this week, but we do want to leave you with something to listen to. So uh, here's an old episode of stuff that we hope you like. If not, we're out of town. So there's nothing we can do. Okay, Paul, what can we help you with? Well, I would like to know uh, who would win in a fight, a bear or a tiger, pretty much. All right. I, I feel like we have a responsibility to ask, why, why do you need to know this? Well, I mean, it, it kind of goes back uh, a couple years. Me and my brother and, and some friends of ours, we somehow, you know, if we're at a party or whatever, we'd, all, we'd always get in this argument, who would win, a bear or a tiger? And it's torn pretty much 50-50. I'm on the bear's side. My brother's on the tiger's side. So, And we, we can never come to a, a civilized uh, conclusion, pretty much. So we're going to talk to someone who can answer this question definitively for us. Um and then I think the right thing to do would be if you could do a bear roar and a tiger roar, mm. and whoever wins will then play the winning sound at the end. So uh, first your bear bear roar. Roar! It's pretty good. That sounded pretty, yeah. yeah. And uh, now a, a, a tiger roar. Meow. Kind of can see that one coming there a little bit. Mm. All right, Paul. Well, we're going to get to the bottom of this, and uh, we should have an answer for you soon. Thank you. Okay, so we have uh, met up with uh, zoologist Bruce Patterson of the Field Museum here in Chicago, and we're going to score this. So whenever uh, Bruce gives a point for bear, we'll play Paul's bear sound, and whenever uh, tiger gets a point, we'll, we'll play his tiger sound. Okay, so Bruce, what do you think, bear or tiger? Well, the simple answer is it depends on the bear. There are eight species of bears, uh, and they range in size from something the size of a boxer, a medium-sized dog, to a one-ton carnivore. And uh, tigers, a big tiger, weighs something between 400 and 600 pounds, so that they're giving up an awful lot of weight to the largest brown bears. And I'm afraid if it's a brown bear versus any of the tigers, odds are the brown bear is going to (laughs) win. So what if we were to put uh, them in the right weight class? So get the best matchup weight-wise with a bear. Who's that going to be? Well, I'd, it's it's kind of hard to argue with the weapons that tigers have uh, all over. So I, I think if you're talking about equal weight contestants, odds are it, uh, a tiger might come out on top of that one. So I imagine in that fight you have a tiger, which I think would have kind of quickness and you have a bear, which just has a like brute strength. But really all it has is claws, right? It has massive mouth. I, and a bear is all brawn, and its vital parts are deeply enough buried that it could sustain some damage along the way, but uh, a tiger is fragile by comparison. See, in my imagination, if, during this fight, if they were in the ring, like the tiger could run around and get some good knocks in on the bear, but just one hit 
from the bear, and it's over. I, I think that's a distinct possibility. All right. Let me ask you this question. Is this, um, as a zoologist, is this the dumbest question you've ever had to answer? <laughs> not, not exactly the dumbest, but it, it's certainly stretching my limits of credibility. We got a question from Lear, and Lear wants to know if I'm stuck in the desert, how do I get water from a cactus? Joining us now is intrepid outdoorsman Bear Grills. So, Bear, I, I've heard about this. Can you actually do this? Yeah, yeah, totally can be done. And yeah, there, there's so many stories of cactus saving people's lives. But you, it's not as easy as you think. You know, it's not like in the cowboy movies where you can just rock up and, you know, drink from this cactus. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they don't have a lot of fluids in them, and as you know, they're covered in thorns, and that holds a little bit of danger to it as well so you need to be careful but i've learned the easiest way is you know if it's like a barrel cactus or a prickly pear or something it's just to get a stick get your knife cut it down burn all the thorns off put it on your fire hmm. and then once the thorns are off you can peel that prickly pear and squeeze the juice out of it or if it's a barrel cactus you can cut the head off the top of it and then take out all that flesh in the middle and squeeze that but um so yeah there you go it can save your life and and when when you squeeze it and the water comes out, is it is it just water? Is it cactus juice? Is it? Yeah, no, it's not water. It's the kind of drinkable, fleshy, juicy um, flesh of it, really. What's it taste like? Oh, it's kind of not particularly nice. But when you're thirsty, anything kind of wet like that is is like you know liquid gold. Yeah. So when you're lost in the desert, is, are there any other sources for water that maybe we would take for granted? Well, you know, the, the the big battle in the desert is all about water. You know, I've been in deserts where they say, if, you know, if you don't if you don't have water and don't have any any survival skills, you're going to be dead in three hours. You know, so don't underestimate water in the desert. It's all about that, and it's about being smart, knowing where to look, and looking for patches of green that might, you know, um, you know, be plants growing with some underground aquifers there finding dry riverbeds and following those and looking for the outside bends of those where often water will collect deep under the sand if you dig oh. down a few feet. Um, you know, if you're well hydrated, you can drink your own pee. Uh-huh. Um, if you're really dehydrated and it's brown pee, it's not going to help you. But if you're well hydrated, you don't want to waste it. And I've had to do that quite a few times as well. You know, or you can use your pee to pee on a T-shirt, wrap it around your head and keep you cool. Oh. Um, so yeah, it's just about, it's like all the survivalists, about ingenuity and being resourceful and thinking a bit left field sometimes. All right, so when you have to drink your pee, when that's your only option. I love uh, it. Every interview I do, it always comes back <laughs> to pee drinking. It's like, I'm amazed it took 30 seconds. <laughs> we were trying to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't about the cactus, was it? It was about getting around to the pee. <laughs> but, you know, when you have to do it, how do you do it? Do you, is there a... Are there seasonings you can put in there or, or what? Well, it's like all difficult things. When you've got to do it, the best way of doing it is just tackling these things head on and just getting on with it. Don't try and dress it up in any way. But, you know, urine is never going to taste very nice. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of stories well, where, it, you know, where it saves people. Um, I mean, I've done it where one of the worst times was I remember eating, killing and eating this snake in the desert and I kept the skin afterwards and I thought I can use that as like an improvised water bottle and I peed in the skin, tied both ends, wrapped around my neck. You know, we were in this desert salt pan and then, you know, a day later I was drinking from it and 
But that was particularly bad because it mixed with all the snake intestinal, you know, <laughs> juices, and that was kind of a pretty bad sort of heated cocktail of pee and innards. Oh. But um, normally, if it's straight and fresh, it's it's um, no, it's still pretty bad. Yeah, yuck. What happens to me whenever I go to a bar? Everyone comes up and goes, "Ah, oh, bear girls, you want a pint of urine?" And I'm thinking, <laughs> "Oh, thanks." Wow. So wait, if you had if you had a prickly pear cactus and you had some pee, which would you drink first? Um, I'd probably drink the pea and then the prickly pear afterwards because that could take the taste away. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, yeah. That's like a <laughs> cactus chaser. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, again, fluids in the desert. If you've got some fluids, you don't want to be drinking it all at once because you want to. You're better off taking lots of little sips and stuff. So you're kind of prolonging the agony, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Can we ask you some other questions? Yeah, go for it. All right. Who do you think would win in a fight between a bear and a tiger? Well, um, it depends. If it was like a Siberian tiger, which is the biggest cat, which is huge, but there are not very many of them, you know, that would stand a pretty good chance. But, you know, bears are formidable opponents when they're angry. You know, a big, angry grizzly or polar bear, you know, incredibly strong. People don't realize just how strong they are. Um, so I would probably go in a, it, purely on a weight and size and strength, mm-hmm. probably the bear. <laughs> If, if you were going to be one-on-one with a bear or a tiger, which one would you choose? A tiger, I think. Yeah, at least you've got a chance of you know, getting on top of it and getting your fingers into its eyes or something if it's really fighting you to the death. You know, a big bear, if it's really out to get you, that is so strong. Is there anything you don't know how to do, bear? I'm pretty bad in cities. I get run, run, almost run over on a daily basis here, you know. Well, let's, let's offer you this opportunity then. We are a how-to show. Do you have any questions that we could help you with? Any how-to questions? Yeah, I do. So are you allowed to turn right at the stoplight when it's red? Yes, you are. Yeah. In general, I think you can, right on red. Yeah. Okay. That, that has, no wonder they keep honking me from behind. <laughs> I mean, look both ways. We don't, we yeah. don't want to lose you this way, but, yeah, it's, you're not going to get pulled over for it. Okay. Okay. Well, that's helpful to know. Thank you. There you go. We've, we've served each other well today. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to go drink pee. You're going to get a $30 ticket for going right on red. <laughs> yeah, you get the rum end of that deal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we want to thank our sponsors for sponsoring us with sponsorship. And this week, that's Casper. Casper, as you may or may not know, is an online retailer for mattresses. Casper mattresses are American-made and obsessively engineered for comfort. They use two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, to give just the right amount of sink and bounce. And they have a risk-free trial. You can try out your Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and returns. It's outrageous comfort at a polite price, so go to casper.com everything to check out their options. And they have a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Use the promo code EVERYTHING to redeem $50 towards a Casper mattress that works for you. Terms and conditions apply. We got a question from Alden. Uh, He wants to know, how do I eat spicy foods? So we're going to head down to Chinatown in Chicago to Lao Sichuan. It's a restaurant famous for its ridiculously spicy food. Tony, who is the owner, uh, and he's going to help us uh, eat some of his spicier dishes. You'll know we're there when we start speaking in spicy tones. So how many, so you said it goes from one to five. What are we ordering today? Today I want one to three. Because I I don't want you 
I, I, Tony, I hate you. I don't want to come back. <laughs> I want you to love me. Come on. So Tony's uh, sort of first step is um, you, you need to eat something else first. Something maybe a little bland. Yeah. Just get something in your belly to kind of protect it from the, the more fiery yeah, to, foods to come. To coat your stomach. Yeah. He suggests bread or vegetables. Sweating and uh, face are red and uh, keep drinking water. Wow, wow, wow. And eating, nonstop eating all the time. But whenever I see that, I worry. I go to them, is everything okay? How do you feel? I say, I'm good, I'm good. I say, feel good. They feel, you know, released. You know, you feel released. Some, some boys just say, keep a beer coming. Keep a beer coming. <laughs> some people say, water, water. It's very interesting. So there are some techniques that will probably cool your food, but uh, that doesn't mean you should do them. My friends tell me, for example, when I met him 19 years ago, when we see them together, he cannot handle any spices, and everything he cannot handle. But sometimes we do hot pot, we eat the spices. He loves to eat. He will do like this. Take the food, <clears throat> the water, clean, clean, wash it first. Now he can handle more spices than I do. So he takes the food, the water wash, wash first. And a little spice, clean, clean first. After that, it goes to the mouse. So, so what he's saying there, if it's not clear, is his friend would, uh, like, you know, take a bite of the spicy chicken in his chopsticks and uh, hold, hold it in the chopsticks, and before it got to his mouth, he would dip it in his water to, to wipe off the spicy. Yeah, his, it was his way of coping with the spice. Which I think, like, just makes your food kind of bland and makes your water really gross. Okay, that's one, uh, one. Uh, the uh, spicy level is one, okay. 1.5, that's two, that one's three. And some people bite this. Can you bite this? All right, so right, right now what's happening is uh, Tony is holding up this tiny, very, very spicy-looking pepper and, and talking to Mike. Can you bite this? Can you bite this? No, you cannot. Okay, good, thank you. <laughs> so Alden, water is not your friend. Right, if you're going to drink anything, one thing you can do is drink milk, yeah. which kind of coats and lines everything. Yeah, and we're drinking beer uh, because actually capsaicin, the stuff that um, makes your tongue and the your throat feel stuff. hot, yeah, um, it's not water-soluble. So it, it basically like bonds to the receptors in your, in your mouth, and the water won't break that. But it is soluble in alcohol, so beer will, will do a much better job of, of breaking the bond. Right, so if you're 21... That's a great option for you. So if you're not 21, don't eat spicy food until you're 21. That's right. You close your eyes, think about the light. Uh, try to concentrate on the food. So your mouth will change. Something will change in your mouth. When you eat the first time, eat the spices and pepper go. Close your eyes. Don't think about anything. I don't think about the food. Think about your tongue. That's amazing. Check it out. Oh, sweet. Look at him. Mike, Mike right? Yeah. See? Mike, Mike is ready now, right? Right? Come on. Researchers who are looking into the biodiversity of species around the Earth need to be able to find species and see where they are. But how do you do that when the species don't want to be found? Yeah, they're hiding. Tom Gilbert of the Natural History Museum of Denmark is on the line now. Now, Tom, your team figured out a new way to, to find species. Um, how'd you come up with this? Originally, it was just a crazy idea. We just thought, well, in fact, my colleague, uh, Mads Bertelsen, who's a, a vet at the Copenhagen Zoo, he was out at his field site. They have a conservation site for tapirs in Malaysia. And I think while suffering the attack of numerous leeches, the idea clicked in his head. He was like, 
you know, I wonder how long the DNA stays inside these guys. I mean, they're everywhere. They come for you. They're easy to collect. So he had the idea. We then sort of put it into motion, and with him, we, did, we tested out the method, and it was surprisingly good. So, so the idea is you, the leeches are everywhere, and you get the leeches uh, who have sucked the blood out of these animals you're looking for, um, and you can then get the, that same blood out of the leeches and determine if they're out there. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you basically, anybody in, in forests with terrestrial leeches, which is very much Southeast Asia, Madagascar, South America, no matter what you're doing out there, you tend to get attacked by leeches. At oh. different times of year, it can be better or worse. The wet season's obviously the worst. I mean, I've, I've done field work in Borneo, for example, and the amount of times I've had to pull an engorged leech off somewhere unpleasant, like inside your armpit or on your neck or inside your groin, is crazy. So the leeches pick up the blood of the animal they fed on, what we found that's particularly surprising is that even months later, the DNA, the blood and the DNA is still inside the leech. They basically, they seem to kind of engorge, they fill up with blood, and then they slowly use that through time. It's kind of like a camel's hump. It's a sort of ongoing larder. Now, that oh. means that pretty much any leech you encounter, and normally you encounter them because they're trying to eat you, has got DNA from the blood from its last meal. And given they're so easy to get because they just come to you, you don't get anything fancy to get them. Um, all you do then is extract the DNA inside them, look at what kind of DNA it is, and bingo, you've got your match on, on what animals in the area. So that's such a unique method of tracking something because all you have to do then is just go sit out in a swamp and wait for the leeches to attack you and then take them back to the lab. That's right. It doesn't even have to be a swamp. Some leeches are terrestrial leeches. They basically oh. just you know live in the forest. Other ones live in the water and the swamps, but that's right. That's all you're doing. And I think really the beauty of the method is it doesn't require any training to collect them. <laughs> you can have villagers in the area and you just say, you know, do you guys mind wandering around there and collect whatever tries to eat you? So, you know, once they're collected, you store them and then you ship them back to a lab like ours and then bingo, we see what's in there. So, Tom, have you guys, uh, when looking at these leeches, have you ever come upon any DNA that you couldn't identify or that was surprising? Yeah, that's, um, well, surprising, yes, definitely, because in our initial screen of these 25 leeches, we, we found 22 of them gave us mammal DNA, and, and 21 of them were animals we could identify, and what was surprising was that two of the species are extremely rare. There's a kind of rabbit called the Anamite striped rabbit, and there was a, a new kind of muntjac, and they've both only been described to science in the last 10 years, so... And they've also, you know, with 2,000 nights of camera trapping in the region, they've never been seen. So, so that was a big surprise that we found these. It wasn't just cows and pigs and things. It was really interesting animals. But the 20-second sequence, um, this was particularly interesting because we, we got the sequence and we looked at it and we were like, okay, well, it's kind of like a cat, but it's not a cat. It didn't match anything in the, the databases of cat sequences. It was about a 90% match. And we still don't know what that is. We, we kind of didn't have time to investigate it further in the study, but it could be one of two things. It could either be some kind of cat which is known but hasn't been sequenced yet, or it could be some kind of new forest cat that we just, you know, hasn't been discovered yet. So has this changed the way you feel about leeches? Yeah, I actually... Uh... I actually feel better. I actually feel bad that we're killing them. I mean, I, I used to be a, say, a researcher in the forest, and they used to come on me, and I would, you know, find one on my neck and scream and throw it off and everything. <laughs> and and then when we got into this, and at first I was like, great revenge, you know, we yeah. get these things and sacrifice them to science. But actually, the more I read about them, and I mean, they're actually quite remarkable animals, right? The fact that they can find you and they can track you through heat and carbon dioxide, and the fact they can live for so long, actually, I've started to feel a bit bad for the leeches because I really. 
getting quite affectionate of them. So we're in this kind of situation where, uh, well, you know, they, when they die, it's for a good cause. But uh, I do kind of like the critters now. But, I mean, you said uh, affectionate. Would you, would you consider a pet leech now? You know, uh, we have a couple of pet leeches. <laughs> we have a few. You've really gone to the yeah, other side on leeches here, Tom. Yeah, I, I just don't take them out very often, and if I do, I make sure I cover myself head to toe first. Yeah. Uh, but we, we have a few. All right. Well, Tom, thank you so much. My pleasure. Glad to be a help. That does it for today's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned a lot about leeches and uh, boxing matches between animals, bears and tigers. Yeah. I think this is probably the one show where uh, Kevin Fitzgerald, our veterinarian, wouldn't say this. Thanks for all you do for animals. You guys are good guys. I think uh, while we learned that a bear is going to, uh, you know, the biggest bear is going to defeat the biggest tiger. Yes. I think a tiger would be well served by saying this. Hey, bear. Whoa. Hey, bear. Hi, bear. Hello. Okay, bear. Walking away. How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. You can get us your questions. Send them to us at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm in. And I'm Mike. Thank you. All right, you've reached the end of this uh, archive edition of How to Do Everything. But if you're still hungry for more things to listen to, we want to suggest Ask Me Another. It's a podcast full of games, trivia, and puzzles. See what you know about TV shows you watched as a kid or uh, hear Loudon Wainwright set the campaign to music. You can play along now at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app.